from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. This has a real cost to an indigenous community. Unfortunately, there's just too many examples. You know, mm. for uh, for starters, uh, uh, solar power uh, relies on supply chains that involve the mining of different types of minerals. Oftentimes, those mines are right next to indigenous people's territories where they live, work, and play. And we can move forward together in a really good way that centers kinship, that centers the relationship that we all have with, with the land, with the environment, and with our future generations, right? Because that's why we're really doing this work. I'm Sarah Fenske. Could ancient techniques provide solutions to some of modern life's most pressing problems? That's the idea behind the conference that kicks off this week in St. Louis. Indigenous Knowledge and Sustainability is a free virtual conference that runs from October 6th through 11th and involves a host of heavy hitters. That includes the Missouri Botanical Garden, the St. Louis Zoo, the Catherine M. Booter American Indian Studies Center at Washington University, the Whitney R. Harris World Ecology Center at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, the Native American Studies Program at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, the Center for Spirituality and Sustainability at SIUE, and SIUE's College of Arts and Sciences. That is a whole lot of good organizations in town come together for this. And joining us today to share more is Kelly Thompson. She is the director of Washington University's Catherine M. Booter American Indian Studies Center. Kelly, welcome. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. And we're also joined today by Kyle White. He's the George Willis Pack Professor of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan and a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. He's also a featured speaker at the conference. Kyle, welcome. Great, great to be in dialogue with you all. So, Kelly, I want to start with you because you're involved with the planning of this forum going all the way back to 2019. What was the animating idea that brought all these organizations together? It, it has been a couple years, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah, so in 2019, um, there were a few of us who came together to really think about how we could advance indigenous knowledge and sustainability in our region. We know how important that is. Um, this was the St. Louis Zoo and Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. Um, we had a meeting, just three of us, to talk about these things and think about how we could highlight and elevate indigenous voices in our region and create a forum for space and discussion about sustainability and climate change in St. Louis, but also how we could create a platform for scholars in this field to network with each other and to connect and to share their knowledge with indigenous professionals and students, not only in St. Louis, um, but across the country, now that now that it's virtual, we can do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the benefit to mm -hmm. everything being virtual these days. Part of what's amazing to me, though, is you started with just a couple organizations mm -hmm. in the room, and it grew to include a whole bunch of people. Was that by design, or did it kind of just take off on its own? It took off on its own because we each have our own networks, right? And we each work with different organizations and people, and 
But all of us were committed to this work and to this conference and and increasing that knowledge and education for the benefit of our region and indigenous peoples. And, And I think that it's all coming together in this way. I mean, we see what it what we can do when we come together and work. We have amazing speakers who are coming in throughout this week, and I'm so excited to hear from all of them. So one of those speakers is Kyle White, who's mm-hmm. here with us today. Yes. So in addition to all these local institutions, you also have some national heavy hitters coming to share their mm-hmm. knowledge. Kyle, your talk on Thursday is titled Sustainability as a Matter of Kinship. Now, we've probably all heard the word kinship before, but I imagine we don't don't all think of it in the same way that you think of it. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times when people think about kinship, they think about their relationships with immediate family members. But for a lot of indigenous people, we use the concept of kinship both to include that, but in ways that are pretty different. And so a a kinship relationship is any relationship that when you take it seriously, you know that it gives you the support network that you need to face some of the big challenges that you're going to face in your life. So that when you have kinship relationships with others, you know you can count on those others. You know that there's trust, you know that there's respect for your your consent and your freedom and your self-determination, there's accountability. And so kinship relationships are ones that you don't need a law or a code or something formal to sanctify that relationship. They're actually just part of the the culture of friends and and colleagues that you have that you know are going to be there for you uh, when you really need it the most. So when something bad might happen, who are the first people that you call who you know are going to be there and you know are going to respect you? Those are your kin relations. So you have these kin relations. How do you apply that then to the contemporary climate discussions uh, that we've all been having? Well, this has been a big concern. So take a key kinship relationship, which is consent, Uh, having relationships of mutual consent where uh, a kin relative would never do something unless you were fully informed about it, unless you fully uh, were able to express your views on that and approved it. We're seeing right now that society, whether in the United States or more globally, is not a society that respects the consent of indigenous people, but many people of color. So in the rush to lower carbon footprint, we're seeing many different engineers and politicians and environmentalists offer solutions to climate change, whether it's renewable energy uh, or nuclear energy uh, or hydropower. And almost all of these solutions are ones that if they're practiced, they are actually very harmful to indigenous people. They involve mining, they involve pollution, they involve supply chains that also have a high carbon footprint. And there still isn't a respect for indigenous people's consent because there's actually not a lot of kinship between the governments and the companies that need to carry out these so-called solutions to climate change and indigenous people who are gonna be affected the most by them. And so indigenous knowledge really makes us think uh, that that do we even have the kinship to move forward with solutions to climate change that will be equitable and just for everybody Kyle, can you give us an example of how something where, you know, this is something that that sounds good on paper. We're talking about a renewable energy solution and and we might get very excited about it, but this has a real cost to an indigenous community. Unfortunately, there's just 
too many examples, you know, mm. for, uh, for starters, uh, uh, solar power uh, relies on supply chains that involve the mining of different types of minerals. And oftentimes those mines are right next to indigenous people's territories where they live, work and play. And often the companies that engage in the mining, they don't have, you know, procurement or other types of policies that would ensure the local community is safe, but also benefits economically. And so that's one example, but then you're also seeing uh, hydropower, for example, you know, large scale dams being put forward as a solution to climate change. And there still hasn't been a solution to that particular technology that doesn't lead to the flooding or inundation of the communities who are nearby, oftentimes indigenous people. And so really, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where uh, indigenous people and the various companies and government agencies and nonprofit organizations that really ought to be working together to make sure that all of us benefit from the efforts to uh, uh, deal with climate change uh, are, are actually we're all going to move forward in a way that's good for us because we're looking at situations where potentially the environmental damage that indigenous people are going to take on due to the climate change solutions would be worse than what's coming with regard to the actual climate changes themselves. Hmm. Kelly, hearing Kyle talk about this um, and, and reading this paper that he wrote about this that, that I was looking at earlier today, it's so different than how we often hear climate change talked about. It's talked about sometimes in a way that this is urgent and we know what the solutions are and we just need to move forward with this mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Um, this seems like a pretty provocative position here. I, I think so, but I also think it's one that we have talked about in our communities for a very long time and seeing some of the effects that Kyle was sharing has been happening um, for many, many years. His example about dams, that happened in my native community too up in New York. So I know exactly um, some of those some of those effects and examples that, that he was sharing, what that can look like to families, to communities, to the ecology, to the environment what that means to the knowledge shared, the knowledge lost, um, the things that are passed down on to, to your children and your kids. I can see what that, what that means. And I think that when we're talking about some of these things, we have to not only include indigenous voices, but in incorporate them into the solution in really meaningful ways because they and we have been addressing these things for so long so we can learn from each other. We can learn from non-Indigenous folks too and, and we can move forward together in a really good way that centers kinship, that centers the relationship that we all have with, with the land, with the environment and with our future generations, right? Because that's why we're really doing this work. And Kyle, you talked about in your paper um, also sort of grappling with our conception of time, that this is something that's important as we get our head around what's a good solution versus one that just victimizes um, the land's inhabitants. Talk to us about what you mean by that. Well, I feel that in the dominant society that climate change is treated as something that's completely unprecedented. It's a challenge like nobody's ever faced before. And I think that really comes from a particular cultural orientation that is, you know, now 
out there quite predominantly in discussions of climate change and it comes from societies or cultures that historically just have never thought about their relationship with the climate system but for indigenous people actually climate science is probably one of our oldest sciences uh, children would never have been educated without an understanding being taught to them about how to live with the climate system, how to negotiate the challenges of the climate system. And so we have ancient stories about how people generations ago dealt with climate change and took responsibility for climate change, whether or not it was known that they were the causes of any of the dangers. At the same time, I think people need to understand that we wouldn't be in the particular climate change predicament that we're in today unless indigenous peoples hadn't been you know or if indigenous people hadn't been dispossessed of their lands because the industries the oil the coal the gas that are responsible for the high concentrations of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere they took root because of non-consensual uh, uh, land dispossession of indigenous people and that's why we, the, the, the industrial society was able to create these these problems and these high concentrations of greenhouse gases. And so for this reason, for indigenous people, we have these long memories of what climate change is, both in the sense of just what it means to be a society that lives with the climate system, but also we were dispossessed of our lands and harmed at the very beginning phases of the technologies that have brought us to various challenges. And so we approached this, and I appreciate my colleagues points you know we approach this with all this wisdom of seeing what it means when a society's uh kinship has never been respected mm -hmm. and so we're adamant that we need to uh change the way that business was done um and we need to find a new way to do things that is based on kinship and it's equitable and just we're talking today to Kyle White. He's a professor of the environment and sustainability at the University of Michigan. Um, he's a featured speaker at the Indigenous Knowledge and Sustainability Conference that kicks off October 6th. If you want to hear more about these ideas that Kyle explores in his work, um, you'll want to tune in for his presentation there. And of course, we're also joined by Kelly Thompson, the director of the Washington University's Catherine M. Booter American Indian Studies Center. Um, Kelly, hearing a bit about what Kyle's going to talk about, can you highlight a few other um, things or presentations? Presentations that are on the agenda for this conference. Absolutely. And actually, with Kyle, during his talk, his talk is on Thursday the 7th, and he'll be speaking with Dr. Tiffany Hardbarger, who um, will be speaking about the roots of relationship to the land. And she'll share um, some more about what that means in terms of um, land and sustainability and looking at history as well. So that should be a really great talk. Robin Wall Kimmer will also be speaking with Kyle on Thursday as well. And she'll her, the title of her talk is Restoration and Reciprocity, Renewing Relationships with the Land. Um, we'll, we'll have speakers on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Sunday as well. Um, other speakers. And you can actually go to the... Um, Harris Ecology Center Conservation Forum website to check out all the speakers and talks and, and register for the virtual events as well. But you'll notice that many of our speakers will really center relationships and the importance of being in a good relationship with the land and the environment because that goes back to um, our indigenous values and indigenous knowledges that we bring into this discussion about sustainability and climate change, much like um, Kyle's 
discussion on kinship, I think that centering our relationships with the land and environment is is a key theme for this conference. Mm -hmm. So Kelly, in our final few minutes here, um, you direct the Catherine M. Booter American Indian Studies Center, and that's at the Brown School of Mm -hmm. Social Work at Washington University. You're also an alum. Can you tell us just a little bit about that program? Absolutely. So the Booter Center, we were founded in 1990 to provide scholarships for Native students coming to the Brown School who were seeking their master's in social work degree. And with the goal of developing them as leaders, preparing them to go back into their communities to be leaders in the field of social work. And since 1990, we've graduated over 220 indigenous students who have gone back to their communities and done really amazing work in all different areas, whether it's research, policy, clinical work, direct practice. And we also, within our program, we Um, have created an American Indian Alaska Native concentration in social work. And so we have different classes that our students take where they're learning more about indigenous policy, indigenous mental health practice, um, community development. And so they're really gaining those skills that they'll be able to use out in their communities when they go back and serve their peoples. Hmm. So there's a whole focus here. Um, It sounds like the environment that's the focus of this conference, this is only one small piece of this much bigger program. It is. It is because when we think about um, social work or health health in Indigenous communities, mental health, it's really holistic and it incorporates our physical health, our mental health and well-being, our community health and well-being centers elders, it centers our values, and we try to incorporate all of that in the um, teachings that we, we do at the school. Well, Kelly Thompson, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Kelly is the director of Washington University's Catherine M. Booter American Indian Studies Center. And Kyle White, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Thank you, too. Uh, Kyle is the George Willis Pack Professor of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan and a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. This episode was produced by Evie Hemphill with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.